But Steve is like the, the role model. Steve is like the goal, you know, and that was kind of the thing. I always wanted to be like Steve. I wanted to get, I wanted to get there and get like, okay, I'm going to be that person that somebody tries to impress at some damn level. It explains yeah. a lot about your teaching style. <laughs> oh, probably probably not. tough? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I, you, I, well, you, just, you have a story you tell me about. You tell me oh, about. no, I, I no, just similarly, <laughs> like, I remember getting my first paperback that you graded and just being like, oh, well, this guy's a dick. Hello and welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman. Hope you're all doing pretty okay, pretty good. I hope you're all doing good, doing well. Already ruining my grammar on the first take, but we're probably going to keep it in. Why not? What the hell? This week, we have a great conversation with one of Katie's former college professors, Vince Felak. From the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, UWO, go Titans, right, Katie Ham? Go Titans. Go Titans, that's right. Vince is a journalism professor, also runs the student newspaper there, the Advanced Titan. Uh, Katie and Vince get to share a bunch of nostalgia on this episode, which is just wonderful to hear. It's so great. You get to hear them be very natural and funny with each other, which is great. Vince is an endlessly interesting human being, explicitly to me. Uh, there's a very, a very, uh, very much at the end, I admit that this entire conversation just feels like I was in a classroom and I was taken to school. It is very interesting, everything that Vince has to say. So much so that we're going to have two episodes for you this week. We ended up chatting with Vince for a very long time, and so we're going to give you about an hour of the conversation here in this episode, and the other about 20-25 minutes or so uh, later in the week, so keep your eyes out for that. That one is specifically on uh, um, a very specific topic. This whole episode, we're going to be talking about, uh, Vince's work as a professor, uh, working in a college, working with college students, uh, what journalism looks like, the future of journalism, the current state of journalism, and what social media has been doing to influence journalism and the rise of, uh, new media communications. Before we get to that, just a big thanks to anyone who's been listening and sharing the podcast and telling your friends. Please keep doing so and leave us some uh, some reviews and leave us some stars in the iTunes store. That'd be really cool. Or even if you're using us on Google Play, uh, leave us a review. Anything helps. That'd be really great. Follow us on Instagram at EduPunksPod. You can follow me at Craig Bittedman. Uh, also, this week you're going to be hearing some tunes from the band Hikes. Uh, on uh, they are on Community Records, uh, which is one of my favorite DIY labels in this country. They are based out of New Orleans. Hikes released my 
favorite EP this uh, in 2017. It is called Lilt, and you're going to hear a full song later. You're going to hear another song kind of interspersed throughout the episode. Uh, but it is some noodly goodness that I love so very, very much. So I'm excited for you to hear more of that as this episode goes along. Yeah, there's not much else to say. Let's just get to this conversation with Vince. Just say, hey, we're sitting here with... Yeah, I mean, I guess it would make more sense if I did. Yeah, do it. <laughs> All right, so we're sitting here with one of my professors uh, from my undergrad, uh, Vince Vilak. Uh He was the advisor to my student newspaper um, and... Uh, someone I spent many 8 a.m.s with uh, in the journalism <laughs> program. Um, so, Vince, can you just uh, tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I am a professor of journalism at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Um, I've been here now for about 10 years, and I teach writing and editing courses, so mm-hmm. mostly uh, writing for the media, uh, reporting, feature writing, um, some copy editing and things like that. Also some uh, varying courses depending on, on what the semester is. Uh, before that, I, w- I spent five years in Muncie, Indiana. I was a professor at Ball State where I also oversaw the student newspaper. Uh, that was a daily, so five days a week there. And then before that, I was at the University of Missouri where I worked with the Columbia Missourian, which was uh, the University of Missouri owned the city newspaper in the morning. So the students worked on on basically a, a city AM daily, and we were the editors that oversaw it. And so that's where I did my doctorate. Uh, born and raised in Wisconsin, spent many, many a, a, a days eating cheese curds and uh, <laughs> shoveling snow. So that, that's pretty much me. <laughs> kind of like what's going on outside right now. Yeah, it's, when we tell people from outside of Wisconsin, it's, it, don't worry, it's too cold to snow. They don't understand, and then they get here, and then they understand. Yeah, right now it's too cold to snow. <laughs> exactly. <They'll>, yeah. <laughs> Have you never heard that before? I've never heard that, but it totally makes sense right now. It is too cold to snow right now. Yeah. If, for those unaware, it is the day after Christmas. We're recording this, and it is what negative two outside right now. Yeah, with about a negative mm-hmm. twenty-five. Yeah, wind negative chill. twenty-five wind chill, which is amazing because what? Just yesterday, I ran in my coldest I've ever ran weather, and it was twelve degrees. My butt froze. Oh jeez. My butt actually froze. Oh my god. <laughs> and it was so weird. Uh, but it is so damn cold outside. Well, if you if you go out now and you breathe through your nose, if its nose starts to run, your nostrils will freeze together. The hair in your nose will freeze oh together. My God, I don't know how people live in this. Um, painfully, but we do. <laughs> when so, you grow up here, you just you, you don't think about it. it. You yeah, don't think seriously, about it. Seriously, I see people walking around in just t-shirts. I don't know how it's a thing. They're crazy, but no. We, yeah. you, you get used to some of this stuff, but you never really enjoy it. That's amazing. How, how did you get started in journalism um, or interested in it? Honestly, the, the, the funniest story is that I went to college and I had planned to be a lawyer. That was my whole, yeah, huh. I know. That's, Nailed it. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was going to be my, my thing. I'd been planning for that since I think I was like 10 or 11 years old. And I got in and I took one class that they told me I needed to take and it, and it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. So I knew how to write. Whenever I was a little kid, my mom would set up the manual typewriter at the dining room table, 
and I would sit there and just pound out all sorts of stories. Yeah, you can hear me banging away on the keys. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Uh, she still has the typewriter. You know, it's, I wonder if it uh, would bring back memories. But um, I remember going home and telling my parents, I'm like, I'm not going to be a lawyer. And they're like, what do you want to do? And I'm, I really didn't know. Um, I thought about English. Uh, my, this is the funny story. My father uh, worked in a factory for a long time, and he believed in the idea of you find something that you're good at and that you that, that has a job at the end of it. So I was thinking about English, but there's not really a, a job that was purely associated with that. But when I, I, I found about journalism was that he read the newspaper and he watched the news. And so it was at least able to be able to explain to him, this is where my job's going to be. So that was... A little bit easier. I walked into a classroom uh, on a uh, kind of a, a random, uh, you know, you got to fill in a credit here, credit there kind of thing, and this filled in a, a requirement. And I found a, a professor, a teacher that I really admired, and my goal in life was to impress him. And he just was tough as nails, and he just kept leaning on me. And every time I went there, I'd get my ass kicked, but I kept going back for more. And then eventually I got there, and got involved in student media and then that was kind of it so mm. you just kind of find I, I found that I was I was better at that than I was at other things especially things that involve science or math uh so same <laughs> there you go <laughs> we're, we're all kind of kindred spirits when it comes to the you either like it or you don't and it's... <laughs> no but I think your story very very much mirrors mine like I was not interested at all in a lot of things my friends were studying and so I, but I always loved reading and I always loved writing mm-hmm. and I was always a good writer. I was always, I always had like ideas. I always had yep. stories. I was writing, I think I was writing before I was reading like that, that kind of yeah. thing when I was growing up and I would always write these stories throughout high school and I started writing them in college and I realized like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell stories and it took me finding one of my professors that I was really like, I want this guy to think I'm good. Mm-hmm. I just want this guy right here to think I am good at this and that I have potential in this. And the first time he told me he liked something of mine, I almost died. <laughs> I, can, I can be done right now and be happy. Yeah. That's all I wanted. Uh, and I feel like there are lots of, lots of kids out there who go through college looking for that. Well, I think that. in some ways there's always the, the idea of affirmation, but making somebody work for it and I think that in a lot of cases you know if you set a standard and the person really wants to meet that standard they're going to meet the standard now there are times where the person just wants the answer and that's not our field that's never been journalism there's not an answer I mean there are facts and there are you know opinions but there's never an answer whereas when you go into math you know there's an answer that comes out at the end of the mm-hmm. equation or in science you know you know not to mix two things together and something's going to explode you know there's an answer don't do that but i think in our field you know a lot of times um you know the the kids who come into it have been told they're good writers and then they get here, and it's kind of like the difference between AAA baseball and Major League. It's like, wait a minute, you're a good hitter, and now all of a it's like, how am I hitting 042? Well, <laughs> the you second just... you said they're told they're good writers, I knew exactly what, where you were going with this. Well, I was told I was a good writer, and when I went to, you know, Steve Lorenzo was the guy who did my, my writing class, my reporting class. And, you know, he used to grade in green because he said green was an affirming color. Well, he turned that thing into like a like a shamrock patch it puked all over this thing <laughs> and i remember getting it back and i walked up to him and i'm like i don't get the, like why and he's like 
you're better than this. I'm not letting you get away with this shit. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, that was the moment I'm like, I want to impress you. Like, yeah. literally, like, everything at that point. He never actually finished his PhD. He never actually went into it. He um, ended up in New York. He did technical writing, all sorts of stuff. I, I kind of lost some track of him, but I know that he also plays hockey, and he's, you know... But, but Steve is like the the role model. Steve is like the goal, you know. And that was kind of the thing. I always wanted to be like Steve. I wanted yeah. to get I wanted to get there and get you know, like okay, I'm going to be that person that somebody tries to impress at some damn level. It explains yeah. a lot about your teaching style. <laughs> <laughs> oh, probably probably that that's tough. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I, you, I you, well, just, you have a story. You tell me about. You tell me. Oh about. no, I, I no. Just similarly, <laughs> like I remember getting my first paper back that you graded and just being like, oh, well, this guy's a dick. (laughs) It was just all mean. And no, it like, and like it made me a better writer. Like, and I didn't see that at the time, of course. I was just like dreaded coming to these classes because I was like, I'm not good enough to do this. Do but then it like a lot, though, from students? yeah I do well the, the thing <laughs> is, is I get I get a mixed response and it depends on the student and in your case what it was was you like would push back because you would make it better and stronger and faster mm-hmm. and, and and you'd really kind of do plus you also showed up at the office hours going I don't get this yeah help me get better at this and that's almost always like the first level of a challenge with uh, a good student is when they see they're not performing up to the level that they want it's not about give me the grade it's about make me figure this out help mm-hmm. me figure out why this happened it's like why is this for lack of a better term broken in in your mind and then we would work through it so I'd give you some some feedback you'd work through it you'd kick it back and it would come back and we'd kick it back and come back and so it was a process just like anything else is in writing or just like a lot of other things are in a lot of other fields where it's it's never you do it once and it's perfect and then we mm-hmm. move on with life. Um, but I do get a lot of students who, you know, they're, they're going to try harder and they're going to push harder because they've finally gotten to a point where they want to be good at this. And that that always feels really good because you help them out a lot of times. And there are other times where it's like you get the whining. But, I mean, that's that's <laughs> – you know, there's there's always somebody that whines. There's always somebody who's like, you know, why are you giving me these grades? Well, I'm not giving you the grades. You're earning the mm-hmm. grades. Mm-hmm. Or why are you, um, like, why are you being mean to me? You know, it's like, <laughs> well, I'm not being mean to you. I'm, you know, I'm, and. That I, was me. I just didn't say it to your face. Well, that's fine. <laughs> but the, the thing of it is, is that I, I apparently have really calmed down a lot. By the time I got to you, I'd already gone through, like, like three universities where Mm -hmm. I I generally gotten a lot of the rough edges smoothed off. So I was a little more polished Mm -hmm. in terms of my criticism where I could defend it a little bit more. But apparently at one point, um, there's a woman who now works, uh, or at the time she did the last, she told me the story a couple of years back. She works as the, uh, uh, one of the copy editors on the opinion desk at, I think it's the Washington post. Mm -hmm. So she gets to edit like, um, David Broder and she gets to edit, uh, Salman Rushdie and you know like the heavy hitters mm-hmm. and she said I remember the first time I was working with you in the newsroom and it was at Missouri and she said I was being annoying and I was like I, I tried to fix this brief like three times and I kept screwing it up and finally I'm like can I go can I go can I go and and you know, she says to me you just look back at me and you said well I'm at the third paragraph and I haven't thrown up yet so yeah get out of here <laughs> <laughs> so apparently I've smoothed out a little bit since since those early days of you know, Goodness. like, what is this pile of crap sitting on my desk, and why is it here? So. Well, you've clearly been doing this for a while, and I guess you've been smoothing out your edges, but what has that evolution looked like for you? 
The evolution, I think, went from being, I'm doing this as something that I'm doing on the side of being a reporter or an editor or whatever, um, to moving into um, more of a an understanding that at heart I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if... I started to realize it more when I started doing different things. Like I do uh, woodroof finishing for fun. I work on uh, small engines. I've got a, a 68 Mustang that I've basically been rebuilding over time. And when people ask me questions, I get really excited because I want to – it's not like I want to brag. It's like I want to teach or I want to show them something. So um, actually, I think it was two days before Christmas, my buddy Matt called me up and he said, you know, uh, I think my car just exploded. And I said, um, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. Why? He's like, well, there's all this smoke pouring out from underneath there. And, you know, it's all out of radiator juice. And I don't know what the hell. And I'm like, okay, just, he's like, I got it in the church parking lot over, you know, can we do something? I said, yeah, sure. So I got over there and I like went in and I started figuring it out because he was gone at that point. He had to go to work. And so I'm looking at this thing and I figured it out. And the first thing I want to do is call him, not to say, like, don't worry, but it's more like, I want to teach you something. I want to show you how this works. So he and I went over there afterwards, and I was showing him how the pieces went back together and everything. So um, it, it's really weird, but this is going to be – I just completed my 20th year of teaching in college. Um, I started very, very young uh, when I was uh, in my master's program. I started the second semester of my master's program, so it was like – uh, January of 97 was the first time I taught where it was my class to teach and, mm-hmm. and be in front of it. And then every year since then, you know, you've kind of kind of built. So there is some evolution. There is, you know, not every day is an Academy Award, but you, you get better, you get worse. Sometimes you, you try different things. Sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes your audience shifts. Um, you start realizing that some of the things that you used to use don't, mat- don't, don't work as well. Some of the references don't, don't hold as well. Um, other times you start to realize that you've, you've got a nice vein of work that's going to continue to build. Um, the, the funniest thing that I had happen to me was I've written a number of books on, on media writing and reporting, and they just did – the reporting book comes out – you know, book plug. The reporting book comes out um, in about seven days. Yeah. And they did a test where they sent out chapters – to professors who were willing to swap out one of their chapters of their current book with one of the the book chapters that I had sent them. So if it was like they got the mm-hmm. you know beginning writing chapter, they would swap it out for their book thing. And it the the ratings went really really well and I asked I said, "Why? Like what was it that did it?" And they the the people at Sage couldn't they said they can't put their finger on it. The the way in which they've all described it is we don't know but it just felt better. It felt more like a conversation. It felt more like somebody was mm-hmm. really excited about teaching us as opposed to just reading a book. Yeah. And so that kind of, you know, so that I think is the evolution of less worrying about, you know, is this in the book? Did I get this on a test? Do I do this? And more about, I want you to walk out of here feeling better prepared for whatever it is that we were doing in here than you did coming in. So if you feel like you've learned something and you've got some sort of value out of this, then it worked out. If you don't, 
hopefully at some point during the semester you'll come to me and say, I'm not getting anything out of this. What can we do? And then we'll fix it. But, you know, there's always the one or two who will wait till the last possible minute, be really upset about everything, and then go on, you know, rate my professors or whatever and drop you a one and, you know, total a-hole, can't possibly be worth anything, you know, hope he dies in a fire, you know. You just quoted Katie's. Yeah, pretty no, much. I did we'll rate that, you on we'll rate my professor, but I did not give you, give you a one and say you should die in a fire. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No. Um, but, I actually think that it, it was – Thinking about, like, my evolution of my time here, mm-hmm. um, like, obviously, I had I had you, in my, like, first impression of you was that you were just, like, a hard-ass in the way that you graded, but, like, but once I got to the heart. end of it, well, yeah. I don't know about that, <laughs> um, but, like, obviously, I started working at the Advanced Titan, the, the newspaper, um, and just, like, getting to know you in that space and... Mm-hmm. Like, I think you are very different in that space. It is. It's, it's you, a different, well, there are different things that you do in different times in different yeah. places. And one of the things I've noted a long time is that, again, I don't, the thing about the newsroom that makes it better is that it's, it's real in the fact that there are consequences. Mm-hmm. And so if you, let's say in your, or in your writing class, screwed up the name of somebody, okay, I'm going to penalize you for it. You can call me whatever you want to call me. We're, mm-hmm. we're, okay, fine. But, you know, and you look at your grade as that. But at the end of the day, I, has anybody ever asked you what your grade point was? Like, Mm-mm. really? Like, any job you ever really filled out? Okay. Yeah. So, and I tell students that, and of course mm-hmm. they don't believe me because they've been told that there's a permanent record somewhere, which would take like a <laughs> freaking steam shovel to move mine. But the, oh, man, I, it's an everyday thing where yeah. I'm like, don't worry about, about what your, grades you're getting. Yeah. Graduate. Yeah. yeah. Worry, graduate. worry about what you learned. Mm-hmm. Every mistake you make, you pay a price for. Mm-hmm. and But you buy something with that payment, which is wisdom, and you learn how something goes or something doesn't work or how not to do something again. But at the newsroom, there was an actual consequence. If you spelled somebody's name wrong, somebody's making a phone call and they're mm-hmm. calling down to you. <laughs> and, you know, we've got to figure out, like, okay. Or if you put, you know, something wrong in there and it really, you know, hurts somebody or creates a huge problem – and that's where you notice that, you know, when you start playing with live ammo, so to speak, you're a little more well-prepared than you would be if everything was sunshine and roses in the classroom and then we didn't apply those standards in the newsroom. Um, I think it was also just that it was like like a team environment. Oh, yeah. What that, I think that was really helpful for me. And I think that was when I was able to see more of the, like, the side that was – teaching us to help us get better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think like, being involved in the student newspaper and having you in that, like, seriously helped my academics because that, like, I was able to have sort of, like, the fun mm-hmm. time where I was still learning the same things, but it was just, like, mm-hmm. well, different setting. Did you, setting. Have, did you and, have that experience, you know, in that sense of how the, the – you know, flipping this around on you, but the yeah. idea being like when, when you were out there working at the daily, you know, and then you saw what happened there, you were able to apply it into your classroom, or in the classroom you saw something and you're like, I got to go run over here and do. It. Did that happen mm-hmm. for you too? Yeah, and I, I was thinking while your answer was just talking about that is one of the things that it taught me working at a daily newspaper was how important deadlines were <laughs> and how important <laughs> due. So I were, I turned that into due dates when a paper right. is due. I'm like, okay, I'm going to give myself some time to work on this. Sometimes with my 
writing assignments, my, my article writing, um, since we were doing it daily, I'd be doing multiple articles at a time yeah. as I'm doing multiple papers at a time, and you're juggling a lot of things. But if you drop one of those things, uh, those are column inches and spaces in a paper that you're responsible for. Right. And so it, it taught me a lot of responsibility. And so I took that and I put it into how I did my work in the class. And so it always surprised people with how much, like I did a lot in college mm-hmm. to be able to do a day, work on a daily newspaper and be an RA at the same time. Oh, yeah. Was like people were had no idea how the hell I was doing that. I'm like, well, it just taught me to how to prioritize. And I had better time management skills in mm-hmm. three yes. years of college than I do now. <laughs> like, oh my God. And that is very sad because I don't have to do school right now. That is so sad. But yeah, the structure. Yeah, I lost that structure. But that structure helped me like really learn the importance of all those things. Well, that's why I laugh a lot when students are like, oh my God, you mean I only get three weeks to finish this article? And you just want to look at it and go, do you have any idea what that's like? Like, I got or, an assignment one morning that was due by 6 p.m. Yeah. that night. Like, I had to go interview a couple professors. You have to go uh-huh. try, try to inter- try to email a professor right now and be like, hey, can I come talk to you about this article today? Yeah. I'm on campus for a two-hour window. An hour and 40 minutes of that is me teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, can I get 10 minutes? Right. Like, can, can I get 10 minutes? And, like, that taught me, like, a lot. And it also taught me how to ask. Mm-hmm. It taught me how to ask people things like, and one thing that students are always talking to me about is like, I don't know how to get like this, uh, the, the, this, some, something from my professor. I'm like, but you just have to email them. It, you, you, you'll never know if you just don't yeah. ask. And so like a lot of the things that I got, the lessons that I learned from college and from, from life is just from what I learned in the newsroom, you're not going to get any answers. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't just reach out. Mm-hmm. The simple. Well, thing. you always had. What's the worst that can happen? Somebody says no, which means mm-hmm. you don't get what you wanted, which is exactly where you are right now. Exactly. So yeah, but yeah, time management deadline. You know, watching those two those balls kind of ping pong back and forth. I could always tell when students got involved, and it wasn't just at the newspaper, but in a lot of our organizations like PRSSA or mm-hmm. or Ad Club or Photo Club or something. The idea being, when they got into those environments, it was so much easier to see that they were doing better in the classroom because they were able to work and see how those two pieces kind of fit together. You were able to see the interlocking pieces. So it was kind of like that scene at the Karate Kid where finally he realizes that all that waxing and the sanding of the floor and painting of the fence and stuff, he was really learning all these different moves. It's just like, oh, okay, that's why you have me doing this. It's like, yes, this was not just, you know, an attempt to get me to get my cars waxed and my house painted. There's there's a real reason for this. And I always tell students that even if you can't see the reason behind what I'm making you do, trust me that there's a reason behind it, and you'll see it eventually. Before you leave here, you will figure out why I'm doing to you what I'm doing to you. And it usually ends up being (laughs) true. You may hate it right now. Oh, yeah. 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 I think that's interesting just coming from the perspective of a first-gen student. Mm -hmm. It's like... I did not realize how hard some of this stuff was going to be because I, I never had to try like, mm-hmm. in high school. And then coming here, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And that's also where, you know, you look at it and you say, I, I really enjoy working with, you mentioned first-generation mm-hmm. students. We have a lot of them here. Mm-hmm. I love working with them because, again, first of all, they 
had to work so hard to get here. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't the given of, well, my father and my father's father and my father's father's father have (laughs) all been, you know, legacy members of, you know, whatever this is. So I'm coming here because, well, this is what I do. It was, I got to make this work. And the second thing is, is that a lot of them came from backgrounds in which um, family members worked in environments in which work was expected. I'm sure mm-hmm. in, in the family environment, back where you're from and everything, yep. like work was valued. It was, you know, you're standing around to put a paintbrush in your hand. You know, it's like you're doing something. <laughs> yes. And I remember asking a student once, I said, what would happen if you took this paper home and you said to your parents, uh, you know, I, you know, my professor gave me this bad grade. Can you go talk to him? And said, my, my mom would smack me. And I'm like, yeah. That's, you know, it's that sense of, you know, like... In Massachusetts. Don't you think for a moment... Craig has had students say, do you know who my parents are? Oh, yeah. I've I've had friends who, (laughs) do you know who my parents are? Uh, The family lawyer will be in touch. Um, I've met with with literally, (laughs) I think, like, you know, I meet a lot of parents, but I meet them, like, you know, I met folks at graduation and things like that. You know, hi, very nice to meet you, ma'am or sir or whatever, and, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of time. But with you know, with like a parent coming in to see me, that's only happened once. And it was really because she wanted to make sure that, you know, my son says he's graduating on time, but I really want to make sure that he's, you know, Mm -hmm. he's right on the money as opposed to I, how can this be a B minus? How can Mm -hmm. this be? And I have tons of friends in education. I'm sure you all do too, where you look at this and you look and, you know, you see certain things that are all universal. The one universal that I don't have is the grade grubbing. Mm -hmm. I don't get emails after the grades are in. Or I don't get, hi, I've calculated my grade, and it's a 3.69483. Mm-hmm. Is that going to round up to a 3.7 for my A-? minus? So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, no. I even had students who were like, you know what? I took it in the shorts this semester, and I deserve what I get. And I'm like, that's really refreshing. Okay. <laughs> you know? Wow. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's just different. Different universities. Oh, sure. Take Every, different, you know, again, it's students. It, it's like, you know, different ballparks, different sports, different yeah. fields. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's the field. Sometimes it's the, you know, the environment or whatever. But, yeah, it's, I, I was always really – it's one of the more gratifying parts of this job is that, yeah, you get some whining, but not nearly as much as I see from a lot of my other friends who are mm-hmm. in different things. And, yeah, the family lawyer will be in touch or do you know who my father is kind of stuff. I – in most cases, I, I can't, you know, the only time I hear about mom or dad is like, oh, my mom and dad want to meet you at graduation, you know, oh, kind of thing. So that's always nice, you know. That is nice. My yeah. mom met you at graduation. Oh. <laughs> that's a thing that happened. Does, does, she, does she remember it and or was it really bad for her? And I apologize. <laughs> oh, it was fine. All right, going to take a quick break from this conversation with Vince to share with you some information about Punk Talks. Punk Talks was founded in January of 2015, so they just celebrated their third year of existence. Uh, They raise awareness for mental health and self-care in the uh, punk music scene. Uh, Recently, they've been doing a lot of tabling at gigs uh, throughout specifically the Philly area, uh, as well as throughout other parts of the country as they hop on some tours with bands like Modern Baseball, Turnover, You Blew It, Free Throw, Sorority Noise, and Dikembe. And I hope to have Sheridan, the owner of Punk Talks, on the podcast in the coming weeks so stay tuned for all of that what punk talks does is they offer uh, free services to members of bands 
or just people in the uh, music uh, industry, they offer them free psychological counseling so that they can have someone to talk to, someone to get support uh, from when they're likely not feeling great or if their depression is acting up, if they're having anxiety, so maybe they don't have insurance, they don't have any way to access any sort of mental health care. So Punk Talks uh, provides that. They do a lot of tabling at gigs to make sure that their resources are shared out. And uh, if you want to look into more about Punk Talks, please go to punktalks.org to learn more. You don't have to be sad to make great music. And Punk Talks is here to help. So there you go. Let's get back to this chat with Vince. So you have a book coming out. Mm-hmm. What's it about? Um, and what's it, how is it different from the other things you've written? Because you've written other books, right? Yeah, this is going to be, well, there's the book and then there's an exercise guide. It's called The Dynamics of News Reporting and Writing. Um, the way it's similar is that I take a very audience-centric approach. The idea used to be that, you know, even back when we were working, you know, when you were here, uh, you know, back in the day, um, <laughs> it was still very much like we write, you read, we know what we're talking about. You consume this information because we say it's important. Mm-hmm. And now, obviously, it's not like that at all. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's media is so fragmented. People are in their news bubbles and everything else. So you, you have to start looking at audience centricity, the idea of to whom am I speaking and am I speaking their language? Am I speaking their interests? Mm-hmm. Am I speaking in their, um, in, in their way of understanding? And then... There are certain things that are going to be universal no matter where you go and what you do, um, you know, in terms of the quality of writing, in terms of, um, you know, learning to interview, in terms of working uh, with grammar and style and things like that. And then it goes into some of the broader ideas of working with video, working with audio, working with news, uh, writing, news reporting, social media, things like that. Um, but I also like the idea that it's done in short bursts. It's done in chunks. So you're not feeling like you're reading an allegory. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure if if you're anything like me and if you'll be honest with yourself, you probably picked up a textbook at one point and you had to read a chapter. You start reading a chapter, you're reading a chapter, reading a chapter, and something like, oh, God. And then you like look in the back and figure like how far it is. You put your finger in there and you can see how much paper is left. And you're like, oh, God, how much more of this do I have to go? Um, in a lot of cases, it's because you feel like you're reading – just these large swaths of text that don't tell me anything. Whereas mm-hmm. I've learned better by hearing, okay, there are three things you need to know, or here are the five things you want to consider, or when you're doing this, there are two things you shouldn't do. You know, it's kind of like... It's a buzzfeed of books. It kind of <laughs> feels like it in some ways, but it's more like, you think about it more like bite-sized chunks mm. as opposed to pure lists. But it feels, from what you're explaining, it sounds like it is written in a way... That is how we commodify things today. Yes. How we consume things yeah. today. We yeah. want it faster. And you want it in a way in which you can apply it. Yeah. Uh, I, and I'm sure you'll attest to this, mm-hmm. I speak in example. You know, there's, uh, you know, here's an example of this. Or let me tell you a story about this. Or here are three, you know, things that I remember doing about this. You know, and there's always an example or there's always an idea. There's always a, you know, a for instance. Mm-hmm. And I think that that helps a lot more because it allows you to see something that might be a little vague in a more concrete concept. So you, I can show you, here's an example of why something is, here's an example of a bad something or other. And let me explain to you why it's bad. I don't think 
we ask why enough anymore. And I don't think we explain why enough anymore. I always say that the, the, when you're writing, you want to have that little annoying four-year-old cousin or brother or nephew <laughs> or sister or whatever sitting with you. Why? Why? Yeah. Why? Well, we don't ask why enough anymore. You know, why would I you – know, there are times I'll ask a student and say, like, why is this important? Or why would you read this? And they're like, well, I'm just writing the way I think I'm supposed to. No, 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 why? You know, and that, so the book really presses that why issue of I'm going to show you. I'm not going to tell you to do this. I'm going to show you what this looks like. And I'm going to show you why it is the way it is and how you can make it better. And then try to help people along that way. Uh, the other thing I think that I, I really, it feels more I don't know. I feel more like somebody mentioned that it was like having a conversation, and I like books that feel like I'm having a conversation. I like hearing a voice when I'm reading. Not like hearing voices, but like <laughs> hearing a voice, hearing in my mind like this person having a conversation with me. And I always want it to feel like it's on level. So I don't want it to feel like I am the professor. Do you have any idea how many degrees I have? Do you have any <laughs> idea how cool I am? And I'm going to tell you this. And you better be lucky. You know, I've read textbooks where I won't teach them in a classroom anymore because it feels like you're really lucky to have me telling you these things because you're kind of an idiot. I don't know. Uh, and, um, older men talking down to me is one of my kinks. So well, okay. I'm totally Jesus. into this. I, I've got a, I've got, I've, I've got a couple of uh, <laughs> I got a couple of textbooks I'll send you home with. You can have a you have a good time uh, reading those. But for me, it's more along the lines of I'm no better or different or worse than anybody. And as a matter of fact, a lot of what I do uh, that makes this book different is twofold. One is that it's got more of that conversational feel. And I also understand some of the, the concerns people have about certain things like – can you give me more examples of how to write this better? Sure. There's a whole appendix on, like, <laughs> this is how you apply these rules in a dozen different ways. Yeah. I, am I ever going to get a job? Well, I did a whole thing on how to go job hunting and how to search out a job and, you know, what the, the practicality is. And uh, for I'm sure from your perspective, you've, you've dealt with this more uh, recently than I have in terms of, like, looking for jobs and things like that or, you know, people who have. Mm-hmm. I, I make the equation to say it's like bad blind dating. And the people who haven't gone through it tell me I'm crazy. And then the minute they go through it, it's like, yeah, this is like really awkward dating. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, you know, I kind of put this out there like, you know, I'm putting my resume out there like, hey, I kind of like you. And you don't call me back. You don't call me back. And I'm getting kind of edgy. But I don't want to be desperate. I don't want to be needy. Yeah. But I don't want to cut. Uh, you also, said you were going to email yeah. me on Monday they, or before yeah. the end of the week. It's, yeah. it's almost the end of the week. It's Thursday, Thursday morning. morning. Yeah, like where are you? you know, but I don't want to. I can't say that because they're going to think I'm, you know. Yeah. And, and then you start getting the you start getting angry. You're like, no, yeah. you know what? Screw them. I don't need yep. that person anymore. Yeah. I don't need, I need that. this interview. Right. The job I'm in now. I thought I was... I thought I was done. I thought the applicant pool was done. And then I get a call at the end of November. And you're like, oh, my God, they love me. I applied in August. I applied in August. And I was like, oh, I'm still – I've already put a, put red on, on yeah. the, the job uh, worksheet, spreadsheet that I had. I was yeah. like, no, this just job definitely closed. Yeah. And nope. So <laughs> it's – yeah. And again, it's, it's the darndest thing where you go through that process of, like, how do you behave? How do you do these things? And so it's – that's the thing nobody tells you. And, you know – Again, coming from where I came from, my mom was a teacher for 45 years in the same school district. My dad worked at a factory for 38 years. It's the same factory his father worked at for 42. It's the same factory his father worked at for 45. When my dad needed a job, he went with Uncle Jerry down to the factory and said, it's Frank's kid. He needs a job. You know, he just yeah. got out of the service. Okay. You know, 
come back on Monday. I mean, like, what does that have to do with a resume or cover letter? No. So that was part of – Probably never made one. No, no, never did. Um, But the other thing is is that um, things keep changing so fast, and things that need to get discussed – that might be missing from the book. We've got an ongoing blog called the Dynamics of Writing.com. And what it does is it literally opens the door for whatever you need. I come from a very old Polish Catholic family. And we believe that when we host a party, if you leave hungry or sober, that's your fault. So, you know, we're not going to run out of food on you. And we're definitely not going to run out of beer on you because that would be the most horrible thing to imagine. So, um, what happens is about. Somewhere between four and six times a week, I'll update this blog. I mean, we started it in July, uh, July 1, and there's more than 120-some posts up there. And they vary widely based on need or interest. So, for example, when uh, the Unite the Right march hit uh, Charlottesville, I went and found the student uh, editor and student reporters at the uh, the Cavalier Daily, the student newspaper on the campus of UVA, yeah. and I interviewed the um, the managing editor, and he's a great guy, Tim Dodson, and he and I had a conversation for like an hour and a half about this, so we did a three-part series on like, how do you cover this? Mm-hmm. And he, I remember him using the word chemical irritant because <laughs> they, apparently they couldn't tell if it was mace or tear gas or whatever, but he's literally like walking through, he goes, I can feel this chemical irritant as I'm getting into the crowd. Wow. And he tells me these stories about this stuff. I talked to the people at Rice University about Hurricane Harvey aftermath. Um, but then there are also things like... Um, when um, the Powerball lottery, the, the big Powerball lottery hit, and the headline came out of, you know, uh, mother of two wins Powerball lottery. Like, why is it that we decided to frame this person who is a woman as a mother of two? Like, why is that the headline on yeah. that? And so a friend of mine who's a feminist scholar down at the University of North Texas did a whole thing on focusing on women and their accomplishments, not the fact that they are women. So it's, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the New York Times obituary for Yvonne Brill, brilliant scientist. Uh, you, know, you always say, well, they're not a rocket scientist. She was a rocket scientist yeah. for NASA. Uh, the reason why we have satellites working the way we did, she broke through in the 70s to do this. But the whole lead is about how she w- makes a mean beef stew and how she uh, <laughs> was, you know, uh, you know, she followed her husband around from job to job and raised three kids. Oh, and yeah. by the way, she revolutionized NASA. Yeah. And, you know, Tracy really did a nice piece on that. Um, I've had uh, uh, Bethany Grace Howe come on and do uh, something about the uh, – there was an issue in terms of covering transgender uh, individuals uh, after the election. So in other mm-hmm. words, when uh, we had um, an election recently in which there were many breakthroughs uh, for the LGBTQ community, especially the transgender individuals being able to uh, be open – and part of the uh, the governmental process as representatives and things. And so I, I had her, I said, can you go through the media coverage and tell me what you see, you know, as a transgender woman to see it like, it, and as a journalist to say, what, how, how is it going, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word? And she did a nice piece for us on that. Um, you know, so it's kind of like whenever somebody comes up with something, whether it's um, socially based, whether it's here's an event that happened, whether it's a... I just have something I need to say kind of thing. We open the doors to say, here's an expert. I had a a guy come on and do like, here are the five things that you will do that will really annoy a hiring manager. He was a hiring (laughs) manager. And so, you know, it's not about any particular thing. It's about all things. And so if, for example, um, 
Oh, uh, the one that sticks in my head, uh, Tufts University. Uh, Anthony, yeah, Anthony Scaramucci threatened mm-hmm. to sue the student newspaper uh, because this, uh, yeah, this this student wrote a couple of columns basically saying he shouldn't be on there uh, on their board. And he, uh, the student, wrote this piece where he made mention of how Anthony Scaramucci had sold his soul. And Scaramucci made this whole thing about how, like, this was defaming him. And the ACLU wrote back this great piece about how um, this is obviously a figure of speech, as you know, having written an entire book titled that. And they flag a footnote, and Scaramucci wrote this thing like, How to Succeed in Politics or something without selling your soul. That was the name of the book. I can't remember what it was. But it had the word selling your soul in it. So it was a great great moment of, like, you know, watching this. So I got a hold of the editor. And the, the young man who had done the, the columns didn't want to talk, but the editor did. And so it was kind of like, okay, what do you learn from this? And, and he was saying, you know, we do what we do. We understand that there are consequences, and, you know, we're going to stand by this. We're not taking this stuff down just because we're being threatened. We don't mm-hmm. care who's threatening us. If, if there's no case to it, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to, you know, tuck tail and run. So, <laughs> But that's the whole idea behind the blog is that it keeps everything fresh. Yeah. Um, the first post I'm going to have to put up after the first of the year is, okay, uh, social media, yeah, Storify is no longer a thing, uh, even though it's in the book. Well, there are still ways in which you use that concept of taking tweets and Instagram posts and blog posts and things like that and building a story out of those elements. Even if Storify itself isn't there, you're still using that skill set of selecting different bits and pieces and kind of buffet style making something out of it. So It sounds like you're keeping up. Like, you're keeping up at least with the tech? Because, like, you, you've been doing this over 20 years now. Yeah. Like, how has that been a challenge for you, though? Like, well, learning to adapt along the way. The, the, the couple of things. One is the students keep you young. Oh, I, 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 well, mentally young at least. You know, there are days I mean, you get out of bed and you're we're like... We're only a couple years in and they're still keeping me pretty young. That's the, that's the greatest thing, though, is that, you know, you, you get some of that. And also there are times where... You know, I made a crack. There's a microwave down in the newsroom that I'm sure you remember uh, that barely worked and kind yeah. of like, but it's still it's still hanging in there. And somebody made some crack about like, oh yeah, who are you to say this? I said, my microwave in there is older than you are. And she, mm-hmm. oh no, it's not. She watched and she goes, that microwave is five years older than I am. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> my supervisor jokes about the uh, the mini fridge that's in my office suite. Yeah, because uh, she bought that for the office uh, 24 years ago. Oh jeez. <laughs> Wow. She's been at my university as long as I've been alive. There you go. So, you know, you know, you know, there's some of those things where and, you know, sometimes you you realize that, you know, but mentally it's you stay alert. You see, like, how are they communicating and what am I trying to do to reach them? But I also understand that a tool is a tool um, and the tool is just as good as it's going to be used. So um, when you look at something like. Uh, Twitter, when it was at 140 characters, the the basis of noun verb object as a structure was perfect in the old newspaper headlines, and it's just as perfect in Twitter. And so it helps you stay focused on what it is that I'm trying to say. You know, uh, you know, Oregon State beat Wisconsin. You know, that's a noun verb object kind of structure that works well in a headline. It works well in a tweet. It's not so much the technology. It's also then learning how to fine tune the use of that tool for something. So I always say a hammer is a great tool, but I don't use it to change light bulbs because that's not its purpose. <laughs> so every t- time I hear somebody, it's like, oh, we're going to pivot to video. I'd say, why are we pivoting to video? Well, video is important. Why? Well, because people like video. Do they? 
-hmm. for something like this. I mean, this is a good medium for this kind of thing. But if we had a video camera on the three of us, all we're really getting out of this is the same thing you're getting from the audio, except, you know, okay, now we know what they look like. and That could have stopped about 35 minutes ago. So it's about what does the tool do? And so every time a new tool comes out, I start to see, okay, what does it actually do that makes it better, stronger, faster, different, whatever? Um, the, the tool that went away that I thought was a good tool for a while, although it was being used in some pretty negative ways, was something like Yik Yak mm-hmm. because it was geography-centric. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to know what your Twitter account is or what your Twitter mm-hmm. account is to follow something, but if we're all on Yik Yak and something happens right here on campus – People are able to get that information about the geography a lot faster. There are a thousand reasons why it was bad, mm-hmm. but again, you start looking at the idea of what does this tool do and how does it help me? Yeah. Um, and that's one way. The other way, I think, is just that I, I've i always been afraid of not being on top of things. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the nightmare of showing up to school and you're late or, you know, you're naked or you're you know you left all your books at home or whatever your nightmare is of mm-hmm. you know, not being ready i've always had that nightmare and so the goal is well, always sense. to make sure that you're ready to like so i don't want to hear well you mean you've never heard of x well i want to know about it that doesn't mean i want to be an expert on mm-hmm. it for the longest time it was it, when i was in school it was Quark Express if you knew PageMaker or Quark Express you could write your own ticket yeah and then it was when I master's degree, it's coding. If you could do HTML coding, it didn't matter if all you knew was the blink tag, you could rule the world. Mm-hmm. And then it became, okay, Flash. If you know Flash, you're going to, well, all of those tools have died, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, coding is still there, but it's not as crucial as it once mm-hmm. was in order to create a web presence. Mm-hmm. So Twitter might die off, but something might be just as valuable that comes along that uses that same skill set of how do I communicate effectively with a strong uh, noun, a vigorous verb, and a concrete object Mm -hmm. to tell a story of importance. So, you know, that's where you start looking at how do those pieces fit and how does, how do you you use those to communicate effectively? Do you you think social media is having like a, what kind of effect do you think social media is having on how people consume news? Because I know I go to Twitter yeah, that's where I go, and I know a lot of people go to Twitter. Um, and then my students, I talk to them, but none of them are on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They get all their stuff from Facebook, mm-hmm. um, and or from um, Snapchat. Yeah, because they have news on there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I'm not big on. You're bigger on Snapchat no. than I am. Not really, but yeah, you're right. A lot of them use Snapchat. Yeah. Well, I think it. The the thing about social media is this: is that that students, I think, or that people in general need to understand is that because you are disseminating content to third parties in a way that used to not be able to be done without heavy levels of editing and without a um, a strong use of a consumable product like a FCC license or like a printing press or something like that. You're a publisher and there are ramifications for the things that you put out there. So I might think of Twitter as just the jokey thing that I do. But if I you know type something on there that's false defamatory and in some way can create harm for you i've published that Mm -hmm. and i can say well it's only on twitter but that doesn't 
actually protect you. And also, I could say, well, I've only got 197 followers. Mm -hmm. Right. But what happens when you take it and you retweet it to your 197 and they start retweeting it and all of a sudden you start getting this thing. And your employer sees it. Exactly. Well, (laughs) there's there's an example of that happening. Um, There's a woman named Justine Sacco who worked for a company named IAC. And she got on a plane in London. I'm sure you've seen this if you're remembering the one I'm thinking of, um, where she was flying to Africa and she made a comment about how she was hoping she wouldn't get AIDS. Yep. And then she made a racially oh. disparaging comment oh after that. And she got on the plane Ugh. and took off. And, of course, you shut off your social media and everything yeah. when you're on the plane. By the time she landed, the hashtag, has Justine landed yet, was yep. out trending Bieber. Yep. So, what? Yeah. And she had lost her job before she had landed. That's yeah. incredible. Absolutely. So it's something where... <laughs> And wow. if you can actually read about her in the New York Times, they're, they did an article, I think, a year later where they she said, I can't do anything. I can't get a job because what's the first thing yeah, that happens sure. when you get somebody who applies? You check them out on social media. Yeah. If you were going out on a date with somebody, what's the first thing you do? You check them out on social media. So she yeah. goes on trying to get out, go on a date. Somebody looks her up. It's like, oh, you're that person, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So it's um, it's not always – the idea of the consequence, whereas in newspapers, you know, there was that tangible product that you held and you felt the weight of the material. You know, there were times where I remember, like, sitting there with the first edition, like, looking through it going, oh, God, please let there not be any errors. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. How many times have you been in a store or something like that and you just fire off a random tweet because some lady in front of you is writing a check, you know, for like a pack of gum or something. And you make some offhanded, not really thinking about it crack. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, you don't really think about that. I think that's the biggest thing about social media is that it goes beyond the, it goes beyond you because you're publishing to an audience that you really don't think that much. And the other thing is, is that it goes beyond you. So you might think of your audience as being people very like-minded to you. But what happens when you make a comment on social media that a lot of people might agree with in your kind of, let's call it a bubble for lack of a better term, but all of a sudden somebody's mom sees it and they kick it over to call it the, you know, the anti-whatever area of that group. And now all of a sudden people are chewing on you about this and they're sending you know, copies of that to you – know, you see that a lot with – um, somebody will make a, you know, they'll, they'll post a stars and bars flag and make some kind of horrible comment on a Facebook post and somebody will capture it and grab it and then post it. And, um, you know, like say, don't eat at this restaurant. This guy's a window washer there mm-hmm. or, or a bus boy or whatever the, the term is. It and, happens to me pretty often, actually. Like I'll put something out. I think I put, I posted something about, um, toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and like just, like wanting men to be more more empathetic and more sure. understanding, and it was in reaction to it was around the time that like all the sexual assault allegations were mm-hmm. like men we need to be like we need to talk with each other a little bit more and sure call each other out and it got into the toxic side of Twitter where it was just a bunch of man mm-hmm. children. Um, and so one of them picked it up because mm-hmm. I think one of they probably had something in their tweet deck that was like feminism or whatever. Yeah, or you and, hit a hashtag somehow. Yeah, yeah, and just, like, started to destroy, like, calling me, like, a snowflake, calling me, like, uh, like, uh, a ma- like a self-hating man, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I'm like, no, what, what the hell? Like, yeah. you know, and then it just kept getting... It, it will always spiral. But the I'm bigger like, thing for something like that is, A, you know... The, the consequences of whatever you put out on Twitter. Yeah. You know that mm-hmm. going into it. And the second thing is is that 
even if it's a topic that people disagree with, it's something that you all can stand on and say, no, 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 this is my area of expertise. I think in a lot of cases, people do dumb things that, again, you you know, it's it, – it, I had a friend who was a copy editor who used to say, you know, you can drown just as easily in two inches of water as you can in the Pacific Ocean. And he also he used to explain that, you know, it was never the, the – like the the Boston Globe stories that came out um, about the airlines and the uh, the unfriendly skies, I think they called it. It was like the Spotlight Project that came out a couple of months ago. One of my former students actually was one of the authors on that, Jamie mm-hmm. Dowdle. Um, it's never that project that gets you like losing your whole career. It's the tweet you sent out at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> that you didn't think twice about, or you know, again, you're in you're at the grocery store or a restaurant and you make some just brainless moment kind of comment thing those are the ones that come back and haunt you and it's you know it's it's harder and harder now for you to make mistakes like that and i know that when i was in college you know the i, I wrote columns i always joke when they start digitizing like content my in my old student newspaper i start getting hives i'm like what stupid crap did i say because mm-hmm. when i was i wasn't the best version of myself 18 to 22 i know that and oh. and i'm sure that if me now could go back there and talk to me then, it would probably be a little different. <laughs> but it would also be, you know, sometimes it's, you know, you just don't know, you don't know shit. All right, now it's time for the music break. And we're going to share some tunes with you right now from Community Records. Uh, my favorite EP of 2017 was by the band Hikes. So I'm sharing with you my favorite song from that EP, which is called Onset. Uh, first, Community Records is based in New Orleans. They, they state their mission, their focus as three things. People, good music, and connecting numbers one and two. They're great people who give back so much to their communities, uh, especially in uh, the New Orleans area. I know that they have been doing a lot of hard work just pushing the bands that they've been putting out here recently, including Hikes, including Pope, Football, etc., which is the name that our cat actually has, which is a fantastic connection as well. They've also put out plenty of plenty of uh, releases from bands like the Flaming Tsunamis, which if you remember uh, Ben McNamee from a few uh, episodes ago, his favorite band, uh, Community Records put them out, Caddy Wampus, uh, Sharkanoid, All People, uh, they've been putting out bands uh, left and right over the last few years, over the last 10 years, uh, mind you. They've been in, they've been doing this for 10 years. They're actually just announced that they're putting out the very last Donovan Wolfington uh, LP as well. So if you want to learn more about Community Records, go, go to communityrecords.org. And if you want to learn more about hikes, go to hikes.band. Yeah, you can make websites like that now, hikes.band. You can also go to hikes.bandcamp.com to listen to their tunes as well. And you can get yourself a nice vinyl copy or cassette or CD, whatever, however you ingest music. Get a copy of it. It's amazing. It's brilliant music, which I also recently learned was recorded in Japan with uh, one of the guitarists from the band Toe, the instrumental band Toe, who are one of my favorite bands. So 
When I found that out, it was a really cool connection I made, and I'm really happy about that, because that even justifies even further how much I love this EP. It's four strong, very strong songs. The EP is called Lilt. This song is called Onset, and I hope you enjoy it. Hikes.band or hikes 
www.bandcamp.com or go to communityrecords.org and get yourself a physical copy now. And now let's wrap up this conversation with Vince. Lightning round time. All right. Give us a off top of your head. We want folks to get to know a little oh, bit Lordy. more about you. <laughs> this is usually where I get in trouble. Favorite food? Oh, escargot. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I was a little kid. I used to get escargot. Okay. And then mom and I consistently get it at uh, uh, Bastille Days down in Milwaukee. If you ever <laughs> have a chance to storm the Bastille, that's oh. a that's a race you should go do. That would okay. be that would be fun for you. Storm Plus, the Bastille. Yeah. Color. Red. Red. Do you have a favorite movie? You know, I am way too far into um, those like great 1980s underdog movies. Oh. Uh, so. The Natural I always love. The Last Starfighter I always love. But then there's always, like, the movie Miracle. Um, I watch, like, clips of movies where, you know, there's these moments of inspiration that come out of there. Uh, you know, I'll have, like, my whole YouTube feed basically is um, just these clips of movies that, like, have these moments in them that, like, remind me to, like, just keep going and keep fighting and keep oh. doing stuff. So um, I'll watch, you know, like, two minutes of Rocky two, or I'll watch like two minutes of Deadwood or something, you know, and there's mm-hmm. like these moments that just kind of like, no, get off your ass, you know, fight some more. There's a great uh, heartbreak Ridge is another one of those movies where like you got to get over the fact that, well, first of all, it's Clint Eastwood. Second of all, it's very America firster. But the other thing is that, and also the language in there is, you know, Hacksaw Ridge or heartbreak, no heartbreak, heartbreak Ridge. Oh, I don't know. 1986. Okay. Yeah, but there's a scene where um, a guy looks at uh, the the character and he says, you know, characters like you are an anachronism. They should put you in a glass case marked break glass only in event of war. (laughs) And, you know, there are days where it feels like that for me. It's like you don't want to deal with me on a day-to-day basis, but when you really, really need something done, you break the glass, you pull me out, and I do the job. That's great. Do you have a favorite book, current or all time? Ball Four by Jim Bouton. Okay. I read that one at least once a year. Um, it's perhaps my favorite book um, because it was so honest, and it's also written in a diary style. It's the uh, he's a he's an aging knuckleball pitcher who played the only season that existed for the Seattle Pilots, which was the precursor of the Milwaukee Brewers, and he talks about like he'd been this really good star pitcher who then had a bad arm and he's trying to hang on literally by throwing this this kind of fool's pitch the knuckleball mm-hmm. and there's all these great moments in this book I, I've got like a, an edition that's just nothing but like flagged and dog-eared pages um, but it starts off with I'm 30 years old and I have these dreams mm-hmm. and I think in a lot of ways that you know we don't dream enough anymore mm-hmm. um, and he talks about the idea of like you know you, you spend your life doing something that you love and you, you think about it and it's 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 one of I think it's the only sports book that made it in like the top 100 books that they put on display at the um, at the at the New York Public Library. You know, they did that for like a century of something or other, and it was you know. But it's more of a people book, and it's just a fantastic read. Plus, again, it's the short bursts that you can get into. Yeah. So. So you're a baseball guy. Yes. Favorite baseball team? Cleveland Indians, and I just okay. wish they you know. I here's my problem. They're just they just keep missing it. They just keep missing it, wait, wait. which is killing me. But the other thing is, is that it's you know, I wish they didn't put Chief Wahoo on so many things simply right? because it makes it harder to you know, 
And their their block C cap doesn't look like anything. The Cubs yeah. C is the Cubs C. You yeah, always yeah. know it. The yeah. red C is the Reds C. You can tell. There, this one. I mean, it looks like you could be playing for like a you know you know, you know Charlie's Bar and Grill or something. Yeah. It's just <laughs> not there. So do you love or what? What do you feel? I love. I'm already showing my bias. The major league films. Oh, I I love them. Yeah. yeah. They're so great. Yeah. I loved all three of them. Actually, I love one and three. It's almost like the reverse of... of, The second one is nothing. uh, Yeah. But the the Back to the Miners one is great. And then the the original is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched that. I try to watch that somewhat annually. Yeah. It was always on TBS growing up. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Um, They did an oral history of that for Sports Illustrated one year uh, as like a retro. Yeah. But um, I just loved the Bobby Euchre character in that first one. Just a bit outside. Yeah. <laughs> the guy's throwing the ball in the dugout. Just a bit outside. Yeah, that yeah. basically just became his thing. <laughs> yeah. That and Bull Durham. That Bull was Durham. another one of those great ones. Nice. I think I spent my entire life watching 80s movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, you vividly remember the 80s, I bet. Yes. We weren't around for too much of it, I, so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Do you have a favorite TV show you've watched throughout the years? You know, I, currently? I don't watch as much tv as i used to i you know it's funny i don't um i'll i'll i i do not get into serial like people say oh you gotta binge watch this or oh you gotta binge watch that i think the last thing i actually fully watched as a series was uh breaking bad Mm -hmm. i watched that whole thing and i loved it for the storylines because it showed me that if you watch one episode in like one season you're like this is ridiculous this could never be happening but if you watch it leading up to that moment the the writers are so gifted that they can move you from A to B to C to D that when you get to E and you would have thought it would have been ridiculous, it's like, no, this makes perfect sense as to how we got here. It just it just does. But um my wife's into Stranger Things. I've got no interest in that. Um I've got It's very okay. I've got no interest in a lot of other things. Oh God, you gotta watch this, you know, none of those series just do it. I I can't remember the last time I was really into a TV series like as it was happening. Yeah. And usually the ones that I get into, they die after a season. Okay. So, what about some music? What do you like? Um, what do you what, what keeps you going? What you put on when you got to be writing? I have a writing mix. Okay. Um, that I don't understand, but it works. Okay. It's one of those things that you just don't mess with. So it's got a, a great mix of different things. So there'll be like. I think I've got like um, there's like Public Enemy in there, and then there's like Pat Boone singing okay. singing Moody River. It just it doesn't make any sense other than the fact that those things fit. I like um, on, right. on summer days when I have the Mustang out and the windows down, like like seventies, eighties arena rock. Okay. It just it works out so Queen. well. Yes, definitely Queen. Um, I like uh, Thirty Eight Special. You like uh, you know. Pretty much anything having to do that comes out of, you know, that sense of, like, the guitar is going to be the loudest damn thing on earth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I really, really, you know, I fell in love with Public Enemy when they were, you know, 80s, 90s. And then, you know, it was kind of like, after a while, it was kind of, okay, that just, like, it dropped off for a while. And then they started putting out albums, but nobody knew about them for a while. You know, it was kind of like... It, they weren't getting the, the player the attention, so I kind of dropped off, but they've got so many good songs. There's actually a soundtrack that I love to death. It's the Less Than Zero soundtrack, and it's got, you know, 
Aerosmith, Roy Orbison, uh, Slayer doing Inagata Devita. Now that's one you've got to listen what? to in order to make sense of okay. it. Yeah, it it again, it's just this whole random lottery of, of things. But um, you know, awesome. my parents grew up in the fifties, and so I, I listened to a lot of fifties music. You know, I listened to a lot of Elvis, Buddy Holly. Um, you know, those kinds of things, 60s rock, 70s rock, 80s, you know, the Duran Durans, the Bon Jovis, the, you know, the one hit wonders that came rolling through there and stuff like that. But um, I can't, you know, it's funny. I finally got to that point where, like, I don't understand the music of an age. You know, my kid will get excited about a song for like 20 minutes and then I, I don't get it. And I feel really old. <laughs> well, I mean, we, I mean, we keep up. I keep up a lot. And we're Not still so much even... with pop music but like there's there's a lot of good music it's just nef- definitely not what's on the radio yeah, right yeah and, and like i keep up with a lot of that like i can still do massive lists of great albums that came out this year but a lot of the stuff that folks are listening to today i'm like mm-hmm. i don't know how this is accessible yeah like it's uh, okay cool you keep it. Yeah, you get, you can go ahead and do this. Well, of course, I would download, and this is, again, this is what happens when you get old. There, <laughs> you know, Zoe would be listening to something like for a while she was listening to like One Direction. So I downloaded mm-hmm. a bunch of One Direction. I downloaded a couple of these other, Becky G and this Rihanna and whatever the hell else was out there. And I would I put it on a list and called it Zoe's Playlist. And I remember like playing it in the car, and she's like, Oh, Daddy, you're listening to some old retro songs. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so old. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, my God, that's oh so six months ago. And you're just like, I, <laughs> oh, just, boy. I'm going to turn to dust and blow away. This is horrible, you know. All right, Vince, let's wrap this up with one final question. I just want to know some advice. What advice would you have for folks who are advising student media organizations today? <sighs> Wow. With all the free speech movement, you know? Well, it's been a movement for what, 300 years? Yeah, I think, (laughs) you know, I I don't know if I'm in any position to give advice to any advisors. I mean, there are a lot of people, and situations always differ. You know, it's different at a private versus a public. It's different at a, um, you know, commuter college versus a four year college. It's different at, um, you know, life itself is different in, in these different areas and things like that. But I guess. The, the thing that if, if I had any piece of advice that I've, I've learned is that you don't want to grip it too tight. You don't want to try to exert control um, as an advisor if that instinct kicks in. You don't want to try to – you want to try to prevent them from making mistakes that will kill them. But at the same point in time, sometimes you learn something by falling on your keys. And you, you don't want to take that away from somebody if it's not going to kill them. You know, if they – I, I remember having conversations with students where I would beg and plead and say, please don't do this. And they're like, we're going to do it anyways. And I'm like, okay, but you're dealing with the consequences of it. And it wasn't a threat like I was going to do something. It's like, you're just going to deal with what comes next. And when they dealt with it, they realized, okay, that's, you know, again, you touch the hot stove, it burned. You don't do that again. So I guess a lot of times people get to the point where they really do grip it too tight. They want to make it perfect or they want to like prevent a problem or they want to like stave off an issue or they don't want to get yelled at or something like that. You know, a lot of times it's kind of like don't panic so much about that. You know, let them do what they need to do or what they think they need to do. Let them try it. But try to build up enough, let's call it kind of um, collaborative capital that 
when I come to you and I say, really honestly, you you, you don't want to do this, that that they'll they'll listen to you mm-hmm. and they'll they'll say, okay, you know, and you know, it's not about me trying to keep you know my butt out of the fryer. It's you know I'm trying to be the conciliary that you really need at this point in order to be able to make it the best possible thing it can be without causing more problems than you know what to deal with. But again, you know, it's, I, I like the idea that it's collaborative. So you collaborate, help, but then get the hell out of the way. You feel there's some truth to that, Katie, from your experience? You mean of working with Vince? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that helpful I, for you? Yeah, I think so. I I definitely never felt like you were trying to make us do anything specific. And if you said not to do something, yeah, it, it, like we were like, oh shoot, well, no. But the, I think the big the big thing always was is that my again why you know yeah. like at the end of the day it's like if I say to you you know you know, don't do that and you're like why and I'm like because I said so would that ever be an acceptable answer? No, it's the Did idea you ever give of that sort of answer. No. No. And yeah, I but would, I do hear it from some people. Well, that's that's like you know, it's I've, just I've, and I maybe maybe you're the reason that frustrates me so much when people don't have a reason. Yeah, <laughs> but I always tell you know it's like when I was a kid, you know, I'd be having an argument or something like that, and you know, or friends of mine had arguments with their parents, like you, you know, no, why? Because I'm a parent. That's why. Did that answer ever work? Did you ever go? Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. Let me go clean my room and eat some vegetables. You know, mm-hmm. no, it's like, but the why is my you know. I got a lot of why answers, and they helped me to understand how not to do something or how to do something. Mm-hmm. But try to have a why answer, I guess, might be another piece of advice. You know, why don't you want me to do this? Well, for these three reasons, and you know, or you know, I've 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 gotten beaten on this before. I've made this mistake before, or you know, <laughs> see, notice I'm missing two fingers on my left hand, kind of thing. This is why you don't do that. You know, it's just you know a little bit more like that. So. Well, thanks so much for chatting with hey, us. Hey, no, happy to help y'all. It's great, and I learned so much in the last hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't, I, I didn't do a whole lot of talking. So I was just, I felt like I was in class in a, in like the best way. I was, I was getting taken to school. Well, if you are, <laughs> so, I'm, well, well, the thing is, is that I always tell people like I don't want to be a, a pest, but at the same point in time, I don't want to be you know missing in action either. So if y'all ever need anything else, you just tell yeah. me and. We'll do it, but don't, you know, I'm not going to be like, so what are we doing next week? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we did it. We finished another episode. That was so much fun. So much information. So thankful for Vince spending some time with Katie and I on location in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It was like negative three degrees that day when we recorded. It was super duper cold, but we survived somehow. And yet it was one of my favorite conversations we've had so far uh, in creating this podcast. And I hope you enjoyed it. In fact, you're going to get more. Remember, you're going to get another episode later this week. So I hope you are looking forward to that. It's going to be focusing specifically on fake news and how to combat fake news. So from a very uh, professional perspective from Vince and from me and from Katie who are not as professional. (laughs) If you like what you heard, please give us a follow. Uh, Please subscribe on the iTunes store or the Google Play store. If you like what you heard in the music this week, go to Community Records 
hikes.org or go to hikes.band or hikes.bandcamp.com and learn more about what community records do and what hikes is up to in playing their new music all around the country and perhaps all around the world i don't know they're just they're just taking off it's incredible to see that and if you want to learn more about punk talks go to punktalks.org i hope you can hear football in the background they're giving a nice little cameo on the podcast here so i hope you enjoy that as well and for now i'm gonna sign off uh yeah uh we'll see you later this week with more with vince but for now let's get to work